Geek Tank Radio, News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. Welcome, everyone. We are the Geek Patrol, and our microphones don't have a stun setting. Today, we're joining you from Ben Grimm's bathroom. Thought I'd revisit this uh, location what now that we got everybody in it. There's a <laughs> sign over here that says Joe was here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting location. I mean, a lot of home improvement implications taking place in here. Yeah, well, do your other show there, Joe. Okay. <laughs> Take us to the backyard where the grill lives. Yeah. Anyway, uh, welcome to uh, Geek Tank Radio, everybody. I'm Joe Thordison here with my friends Brandon Olmstead. Your flush fetish is really screwing up our show. <laughs> Alan Gilbreth and our buddy Max behind the glass. And, of course, we've got our pal Ned King. Back yes. in the house. Ned, good to see you, man. Good to see you. From uh, the director of Opera Memphis, fellow geek, fellow, uh, you know, he's a fellow fan. Although I'm horrified to say he's not quite, uh, you haven't seen the Batman, have you? I have not. Shame on you. I have not. Shame on you, sir. I know. I, I am ashamed. Ca- I'm Captain ashamed. Opera has yeah. not seen the Batman. <laughs> yeah, he's busy hanging oh out with God. the. Well, it's that's been right. a busy time. I, 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 I'll, I'll, give it, I'll give it to you. I know you're always a busy guy. Yeah. So. Well, among other things. When you things. have three hours to do nothing else, okay. <laughs> jump on HBO Max and watch it. Okay. It doesn't it's feel like three hours. Somewhere, surely. It it's might in the theaters. Be, but, yeah. Okay. You know, right. it is I have the found theater. that it's just as good sitting on your couch. Okay. All right. Especially All right. since you can control your snacks. And, and, and then my, uh, my wife isn't even a big superhero. She, she watches the movies, but this one, and she hates sitting still too long. She mm. watched this movie from start to finish, and she was riveted. So right. I'm just telling you, it's everybody. You really, trust me, you don't need to, some, you know, sometimes though, when it gets really busy, I, I treat these movies like a treat. Like I, if I just mm-hmm. keep my head down, I get through right. this month, I, I will get to reward myself with something like the Batman. And you know, mm, I, I will good, say that good. when I lived in New York, my favorite thing in the world to do, New York, my favorite thing in the world to do was to get a bagel with whitefish salad and go to a movie theater like a month after the movie was out and be the only person in the theater and eat my stinky fish lunch while watching the movie alone. That and is I, awesome. I don't know if you could still do that. but No, that is, no, but you, can, you awesome. can totally do that at home now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we got Ned. He's not here the whole day, But, though. But if you, uh, if you want to eat that in a yeah. theater here in Memphis right yeah. now, oh, yeah. go see Morbius instead. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd be the only one in there. Yeah. It would, yeah. Speaking oh, of plenty dead fish, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stinky fish, yeah. is that? that movie stinks worse than your salad. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, so later, but but uh, we've, we've only got him for a limited time, so we have to make good use of mm. Ned's time uh, later. Later in the show, of course, we have another uh, bad geek confession. And Brandon, we were talking oh. off the air. Uh, we were we talking in our show prep that maybe it's time to just open this up to basically listener mail. That's uh, the yeah, way we're, we're going to start approaching we the text it, line. Yeah, uh, we will get into that when we get to the uh, bad geek confession. And the reason we want to open it up to listener mail is because apparently people still don't get the concept of the bad geek confession, but I'll get into that in a second. We're going to spell Adventures it out. Adventures in geek sitting. Yeah. We also, I've, I've already got a name. The logo's being worked on. Oh, okay. <laughs> we also have a comic book discussion that we'll get to, uh, and, and we're not going to we're not gonna tease that too much, but uh, this is, this, this will be, I don't know if this is our featured event, but it's going to be a, a pretty wide-ranging conversation about yeah. comic books. But before we get to that, uh, Max, I know you're proud to properly introduce uh, Ned Canty, so let it roll, man. Surgery in an opera? How wonderfully decadent. And just as I was beginning to lose interest. Fear is our most primal emotion. I don't like this opera crowd. I feel tough. Are you still scared of clowns? Yeah. 
Okay, there you go, Ned. That's your uh, that's your introductory yeah. music. Uh, I don't know. Max. I didn't know that's that one we, of your. I'll be honest. I didn't know that when we went to two hours, we were going to become the GTWE. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what you can look for. Awesome. I, I, you know, anytime that they want to. Uh, What's that robot from uh, Futurama? Uh, the, the, we, don't ha- we don't have yeah. Ned Hedonism for long enough bot. for you to figure he, it out. Hedonism bot. Yes. Anytime you can hear from him, <laughs> it's good. Like, all right, Joe, you got to turn in your card, man. We, we've I, already had this discussion. Hey, Ned. So you are, you are, your education is lacking. Here oh. in the Mid-South, we are, you know, we are proud of the fact that there's such a huge overlap in the, the arts and, um, and that there's a dynamic, uh, I don't know, there's just a, a dynamic energy out here. And that really goes to the heart of, um, and especially when it comes to opera, it really goes to your leadership, sir. Uh, I, I would dispute that. I think that goes to the hard work of a lot of people and my nerdiness, but, uh, but I'll take it. Sure. Okay. Well, among other things, right now we're in the thick of things of 30 Days of Opera. We thought this is kind of a cool... Among other things that we want to discuss with you, uh, what is 30 Days of Opera? So 30 Days of Opera is a program we started about 10 years ago. And the idea is that every day for a month, it used to be September, it's now a performance somewhere in the city. Uh, a lot of days it's two, sometimes even three performances. And they range from, you know, pop-ups or singing on the side of the street or walking around doing opera karaoke at Overton Square. <laughs> it ranges from that to short operas, uh, specialized programs, a children's opera, things like that. So it's a pretty wide gamut. Uh, that we do every year, and we're now, gosh, today is, what is today? Today is the 23rd. So we are on day 293. Uh, We've now done 293 days of free opera in Memphis over the course of the past 10 years, and we're building up towards the 30th. At the end of this month, it will be 300 days that we've done free opera. awesome. You know, it sounds real cute. It's like, oh, okay, so they go and they do a free performance. Well, I'm just thinking of the logistics involved in that. And first of all, you got to get the people available. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how you pull this off. This seems way more ambitious than, I mean, it's, it's a not lot a goes simple, into it. A lot yeah. goes into it. And again, that's why I would say the staff is really, they're, they're the ones that make it all work. Uh, and uh, and mainly my job is just trying to make sure that there are folks in town who see the value of it will pay for it. I have a question. Do you have anything planned in the future for that eventual 356 you know, performance? Yeah. We've talked about it, and no. The short answer is no, because it's day five of year 13, and 13's right. my lucky number. So we're talking about it. Luckily, we've got two years to there, figure there it out. There you go, yeah. Yeah, we got to have something big. But we're, uh, yeah, we talk about it a lot, actually. Well, wherever you're going to do it, whatever you're doing, get with us. We would love to broadcast live from wherever you're doing All it. All right. You got oh, it. That's a good idea. Yeah, so, you got but, it. But yeah. it's like a flash mob of opera. Yes. It's, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And as I told you earlier, Joe, villain approved. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've already told Ned I volunteer for the poster. Yes. It's, you know, because all supervillains love opera. That is it, true. It's part of the class. Now, Ned, you've done over 200 of these. What's What are a few that stand out? Like, what are some that were really noteworthy? Because, I mean, we've seen yeah. you on the news and stuff popping up you know, yeah. at the airport or whatever. But what's, a, whatever. But what's always, We'll be at the airport actually on Tuesday. Okay. The new uh, the new wing of the airport, but the you know I think one of my favorites is one that we are working on redoing this coming Friday night at Trolley Night, and that is Singers on Segways, where we (laughs) rent some Segways and we just scoot around Trolley Night, and the singers sing from the back of their Segways, and yeah, wow, (laughs) that is awesome. It's just a lot of fun, you know. So many people think opera is really stuffy, and and uh, you know it used to be. I mean, there's no question that it used to be, but you know a, lo- a large part of the fun that I get to have is just doing things that are a little unexpected, a little out of the box. And singers on segways, what we did it for the first time, I don't know, 
four or five years ago, and I've been I've been aching to do it again. So this Friday night we'll be downtown doing that. And that singers on segways, not to be confused with reverb in a rickshaw. No, because we do have rickshaws downstairs <laughs> yeah. downtown now. Yes, yes we do. Yeah. I, I'm just picturing like uh, you know, I, I, leave it to me to think this way, but I'm just thinking. So you get you know. I, 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 Leave it to me to think this way, but I'm just thinking. So you get okay. Segways are cool. They're probably quiet and everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm just picturing Ned doing a, a something from like a one of those horse-drawn carriages or something <laughs> like that. What happens if like the the horse suddenly is letting off offensive odors or something like that, and, that the, and the is, opera singers that, can't dude, breathe? Dude, it's called yeah. live stage. <laughs> as, as someone who I'm works downtown, Seinfeld, you know? I was gonna say, as someone who works downtown, so you mean. Anytime those carriages are in operation. <laughs> yeah, have you ever run into any weird snags like that? Like, oh, I mean, not that one in particular. I will I will tell you from many, many years ago in a stage production operatic in nature, they learned very quickly that my advice, do not put the horse on stage, should not be <laughs> yes. ignored. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of things, you know, there's a lot right of things that can happen. Because right at the pivotal scene, yeah. you got upstaged. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unpleasantly. Joe, yeah. I think Wines really need to do an entire series on your schadenfreude. Because <laughs> hey, you're we, all about everybody's <laughs> downfall. Hey, Ned, we've had, you, you know you know this, uh, organizing an, uh, an opera is mm. just like organizing an event. And there's always these weird problems that nobody thought you'd be dealing with. You're looking for a cord, you know, a, a, an HDMI cord <laughs> in the middle of a parking lot for some reason. Or just whatever. You don't know what's... What's your, gonna your turn soprano up? swallowed them off. The, right. you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All of those things happen, and sometimes we had uh, the buffalo charge at us at Shelby Farms Park once, oh, and there was a awesome. fence there. But of course, the singers didn't realize. Oh, there's a fence there. They just saw a buffalo <laughs> running at them. We had that. We <laughs> got uh, yeah. kicked out of a target. <laughs> that was fun. Got kicked Wait a out minute, of a you target. Got kicked out? Yeah, for Can trying we to say sing. target on the air. Oh, am okay. I allowed to do that? I we yes. Got well, it's too late now. Major bullseye. Here's the question: Did it actually happen? Is there a record of it? And then, therefore, it's true, and they. Can't say anything about it. Oh, about that's it. true. And you threw, yeah. man. How'd you like that to go in your argument? You threw out the opera. Okay, what? What? <laughs> it's not there, but I saw it. The I actually had to call them because I saw it on Twitter, and I saw them <laughs> basically like looking in in the parking lot, looking downcast. All right, a lot of worse things than that happen in the big box stores, don't they? I mean, we've yeah. heard we've heard the stories. That's interesting. <sighs> yeah, and we get we just the other uh, day we every year we go to the dog park in Overton Park and we do uh, opera goes to the dogs, right? And we <laughs> sing uh, songs that dogs would be interested in. So only stuff about dogs, <laughs> foods, cats, and birds. And if we could find anything about squirrels, we would probably add that. But uh, but oh, the we dogs can, love we can it. so come up with something. Yeah, <laughs> and so. The uh, so we will get occasionally Brandon, why are you smiling that hard. We will get occasionally people coming by and they will start man. singing, they will just start going blah 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 or whatever. <laughs> and we had this time some guy while our singer was singing, some guy on a bird scooter just went by singing the whole time. <laughs> just trying, awesome. I, it's like a drive by audition, I guess. I'm that not that sure. is awesome, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, well, if they hit the so, well, if they hit the well, note, so, they hit the job. That's yeah, well, they didn't know. hit the one note. of the things that uh, you know, you know, and we all know, singing can be contagious. That is true. Oh, there you yeah. go. But did the dogs ever start howling, or did any that the would dogs, have been the, the mark? The of dogs success. love it, yeah. uh, especially the sopranos, and sometimes they oh. will join in. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, oh, that's but awesome. you know, that's part of the fun, like that's why we go and we we do it. All right, man, yeah. uh, are you guys 
recording this? Like, uh, is there a video of this? Because to me, this is its own documentary. I mean, <laughs> so honestly, this is its own Netflix series or something. So there, uh, there is a lot of video from over the years. And, you know, actually yesterday, can I, can I tell like a kind of emotional, oh, yeah. heartwarming story? Absolutely. Is that okay? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yesterday we were performing at Crosstown Concourse and I noticed a guy... Uh, a janitor over in the corner and he was talking to a security guard really animated right really mm -hmm. excited and he was pointing at the singer so I walked over and I said hey do you guys like opera and I was gonna invite him to come to our next next show and so the guy who was the janitor uh, in my high school Spanish is years and years ago but the security guard starts translating and he's Cuban uh, he just started at, at uh, uh, Crosstown Concourse. Not sure how long he's been in America but in Cuba he was a professor a college professor and he taught the arts Wow. And he was saying, since I've been in America, I've not heard Puccini and Verdi and, you know, all these things. And he was so excited that this thing had happened, this sort of random thing. And it really, mm. I mean, it's why we why we mm. do this. It just was so cool. unexpected in his life. And, uh, you know, I don't know how to feel about the fact that in, in Cuba he gets to be a college professor in yeah, here. But, exactly. but he was so positive about it and he was so... He said on this beautiful Sunday morning to hear this beautiful music is just a gift. And then he went on to keep doing his job, which, uh, you know, to me is about the most American thing you could possibly <laughs> right. see. Uh, but it just was, you know, that, that kind of thing happens a lot. And it's always unexpected. But when it happens, you know, it gives me fuel to, you know, do a keep month of spreadsheets. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's reminded me a little bit, and, and all of us have experienced this. They say the sense of smell is one of the biggest triggers. Like you smell <laughs> something that you haven't smelled since you were a kid. And all of a sudden it brings back, well, I have to imagine music is the yeah. same way, right? Yeah, music is the same is kind of trigger. Absolutely. And, you know, all kinds of studies with Alzheimer's patients about how this works and where how it gets embedded uh, into your body when you love a piece of music, when you hear something, you know, it just, uh, it absolutely uh, becomes a part of your memory in a way that's really, really deeply embedded. Yeah, you guys are the best. Man, it's very creative stuff. Ned. This is this is awesome. So 30 days, is it end in April? Is it uh, April 30th is our last day. We will be at uh, Theater Memphis as a part of their May Day celebration. And we're doing actually, if you have kids or grandkids, uh, it's a great uh, children's opera uh, that you can come to called The Playground King. It's about 18 minutes long. Uh, and one of the characters, actually one of the singers, Sergio, uh, who plays Todd, uh, he... <laughs> Uh, he's supposed to be the slightly geekier character. It's a kid's opera. And uh, we were and uh, we were talking about what he would wear this time. He's like, well, I could wear my Spider-Man mask. And I said, you're joking, right? He said, no. And so he sent okay, me video yeah. of him singing, wearing his own Spider-Man mask that he brought from home. So, uh, so yeah, there's a definitely, wow. yeah. We should probably get him on here at some point. I am, oh, yeah. I am thoroughly Spider-Man fan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, that's interesting. He can project through a Spider-Man mask. Yeah. I'm more interested, too, that you have an opera that's 18 minutes long, because yeah. that might be a good for the low attention that, span crowd. Yeah. That's, I think that's it's Joe. perfect for Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ned, I went to the Magic... I've seen the, the Magic Flute performed a couple times and by about hour three and a half, I'm starting uh, yeah. to get a little restless. But that's after he wakes back up. That's yeah. true. But, no. well, this is why we don't do those operas because I'm no better. Or if we do them, you know, I tell people all the time when, when the olds complain about... You know, kids today don't have any attention span. I always say, well, have you ever watched your kids play video games for eight hours straight? Mm. And oh. they'll say, yes. And I'll say, so what you're saying is your kids actually, and I'll say, so what you're saying is your kids actually have an amazing attention span. They're <laughs> yeah. just not interested in what you want they're them just, to be yeah, interested in. They're just bored in. with what right. they're doing. Right? Yeah. And so our job is to make it as yeah. interesting as a video game. That's what I try to do. Ooh. Netflix has proven our attention span is fine because we can binge 10 hours of a mm -hmm. TV show, but two and a half hour movie, we won't walk away, just go home.
Mm-hmm. I never thought of it that way. That's a good yeah. point. You can binge watch every episode of The Office and, you know, whatever. Oh, fall down a YouTube or, rabbit hole and yeah, see right. if it's not 3 o'clock in the morning and your <laughs> legs aren't cramped up from no blood flow. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool, then. Hey, Ned, when does this? When does the opera season start, or are we in the middle of it? Uh, I thought so it was- we're, we're kind of in the middle of the post-pandemic shortened season, and, you know, it's going to be a while before we're, before things are back to normal enough to have anything you could think of as a regular season. It's probably going to be 23, 24, but, you know, I think that's okay. We're we're figuring it out as we go. We're figuring out what, what the new world is and yeah, right. how we fit into it. Opera Memphis and follow follow all the action over there. So we have a website, and that is URL uh, http colon uh, slash slash www.operamemphis.org. And okay. if you use your home computer and connect to the internet, you should be able to get there. Um, Brandon made me think of something, but maybe this is a dumb question. But uh, how do you, how does there are if, no dumb questions, Joe? Well, what if you're a, okay? I'm thinking perfect example. Uh, one of our favorite people in the world, uh, Kazuo Oda. She's the mm. lead singer of Kaza. She's uh, the Japanese rock trio that lives here in, in uh, Memphis. Well, she's a classically trained singer. <laughs> okay. Well, what if there's people that think you know I I can sing. I might want to get involved with opera Memphis. Or how do you become an opera singer? I guess is what I'm wondering. Like, sure. So to sing in our chorus, you don't need to be classically trained. You don't need to speak Italian or German or any language or anything. You don't need to read music. You just need to want to sing. And we actually have our auditions coming up in early May. So if you love singing, oh. if you sing in the early May. So if you love singing, oh. if you sing in the shower, if you do anything, okay. uh, come on in and audition. Right, we, we're going to have to post something up about that. Yeah, that'd be that, great. That's we huge. would love it. That's huge. Yeah, yeah but because it's, yeah. it's a great way to get involved in the arts. Absolutely. And it's it's fun. It's a really great community of folks. Uh, you know, our, our chorus, one of the hardest things over the past two years is we haven't been able to do any shows with a big chorus of people and that's half the fun is getting to hang out with, you know, 20, 30 folks. That's part of the life of the company. But so yeah. next year we'll be able to do it again. All right. I'm, I'm going to keep that in mind because that is something I don't think I ever asked you about. And I'm always curious. I'm like, where did, because I've been to some of your operas, Ned, and uh, I'm looking. I'm like, okay, that guy on stage looks like he's about 20 years old, <laughs> and I'm th- which is good. Yeah. They're so like he's probably the- a student at the University of Memphis okay. or, you know, yeah. Rhodes maybe. Uh, well, you'll so, see. Yeah. There, there are a lot of non-singing roles in a lot of yeah. operas. This is also and, true. you know, I'm dying to put on my IMDb that I was in such and such of an opera. <laughs> you got <laughs> Knowing Bert had handles and Brandon had a gun on it. We do need an archbishop next year. For I, I'm, so. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I, I, I'd, it's, I'd like it's to sold. go back to Alan's uh, audition I, right there. I, will, I, will, I, will I get to hold a gun? Yeah. <laughs> I will That's be your not archbishop. good. Uh, Ned, anything you want. I'll be the dog catcher. Anything you want. I am so there. That's what I, That's yeah. what we love about Opera Memphis. And plus, you know, I really feel, like I said, I grew I, up in, what's that? I, I Brandon's still sleeping the holding a gun on I, No, I love the fact that Alan is basically on his knees begging to be in the opera. Man, Meanwhile, I'm sitting here I'm thinking, how do I get these guys to MCFC this year? <laughs> oh, that's right. I go, hey, Ned, would Come you here. like to do a small performance at MCFC yeah. this year? Yeah, we're overdue the for that. Always. Yeah, yeah because that was one of our uh, back in the, That's how we met you, Ned. You approached yeah. us, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the kind of attitude that's going on with opera memphis and that was 2013 so it's we've known ned for quite a while and you've always been an out-of-the-box thinker you and i love the way you almost you could say blur the lines between um, the the arts because like i said when i grew up in chicago there was a very clear demarcation it's like here's the classical people Mm -hmm. here's the here's the rock people here's the whatever and here it's kind of a mishmash right i mean a lot of overlap. So. Well, welcome to Memphis. Welcome to Midtown. Welcome to the way our communities move back and forth. Yep. 
Uh, we just got through doing Star Trek Day. Yep. Yeah. Which had the, you talk about a cross section of Memphis. We had everything there from medical directors mm-hmm. to. You had politicians. Just people yeah, wandering yeah, down just, the street yeah. that just went. I mean, they, there's somebody in a costume. What's going on here? I mean, yeah. to something as lowly as, you know, radio broadcasters. Yeah, well, yeah. you know. They let them in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, of course, Star Trek filled with opera, especially Next Generation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Gilbert and Sullivan especially. Now, we, we got we gotta have we got to have a Fifth Element night somewhere in here. Yeah. Well, on that note, Ned, I'm uh, good. Good segue there. See, mm. Ned knows how to segue there. See, mm. Ned knows how to segue. So, Ned, <laughs> we're going to tap into your. Uh, we're going to tap into your vast imagination here because we think you know the operas can be any theme. They can be any story, mm-hmm. and there's so many good superhero and science fiction stories out there. And we're gonna we're gonna pick your brain when we come back and see how would some of these translate. Like, how would you make an opera out of mm. some of these stories? And and uh, and what what v- uh, what opera tools you could say like what you know how you would actually produce this i think it's gonna be an interesting discussion so uh don't look at me that way alan you're listening to geek tank radio who's <laughs> talk 98.9 the roar of memphis uh we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back geek tank radio also they told me you guys look like dorks they look like dorks News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. Ned does kind of look like a dork, I have to say. I can't help it. (laughs) Hey, you know, I own it. And welcome back to uh, Geek Tank Radio. I'm Joe (laughs) Thor. This guy sitting next to me Man, in his khaki shorts. over here is just cracking his khaki shorts and his dad's socks. <laughs> Terrible, sloppy intros. What's and call other All he needs door. is a camera hanging around his neck, and he screams massive tourists. Anyway, just I, because I wear sock garters doesn't make me. <laughs> there you go. I'm Joe Thorderson here with my friends Brandon Olmstead and Alan Gilbreth and our buddy Max behind the glass and our pal Ned Canty, the director of Opera Memphis, who, uh, if you're just tuning in, you're like, what? What is that? That, that does not fit at all. A director oh, of opera. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yeah. It sure does. Our listeners are way more sophisticated than you, Joe. They well, understand. That's true. Ned, before the break, we were talking about, um, we, we've we've done this gag with you before. We want to unpack something because operas, uh, you, you told us something a while back. You said that there's been more operas written in the... Tw- uh, like in the 21st century than have ever been written in the last, what, 300 years? American opera. operas. Okay, American, American opera. Because I just don't think of it that way. I always think all oh, these are all old stories or everything, but they're continuing to be written. And I'm just sitting there, you know, we were talking about all the uh, great superhero and science fiction stories and all the really geek stories that, to me, would make a great opera. So mm. we were going to kind of roundtable some of that stuff. You know, there are just, there are too many, you know, you mentioned this yesterday and there were so many, I kind of got caught into uh, a little bit of a loop and I, I was going to start with Logan because that's so tri- like what Ooh. people think of as an opera. It's such an operatic story of, of loss and sacrifice uh-huh. and, uh, but instead, but in a way that, that kind of aligns too much with how people already think of opera, right? Okay. Right. Instead, I'm going to go with the Marvel property dead. I'm going to go with the Marvel property that was most unexpected and, to me, the most informed by music, which is Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, mm. I would have never seen that come. Mm. Would it yeah. be a comedy? It would be a comic opera. You know, I think, the uh, again, so many people think of operas just as a, a serious thing, but many of the best operas are either comic or, you know, tragicomic, you know, they're dramedies uh. or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I think Guardians of the Galaxy, this is an incredibly operatic tale, and it does... 
tonally what my favorite operas do. So mm -hmm. like The Barber of Seville or The Magic Flute, you know, these are operas that deal with archetypes and, and all kinds of great things. And most of the time they're comic, they're fun and they're funny, but there's some real loss in there and all of it, you know, they, they always say in theater school that the stakes for comedy are higher, right? <laughs> and so with Guardians mm, of the Galaxy, like good. it does, it when it comes out, when Rocket or Groot, I mean, the the... Towards the end, when Groot makes the choice that he does, I'm not going to give any spoilers, Groot mm. makes this very unselfish choice. And this is something that works all the better because everything before it was comic, and you're mm. laughing and you're cheering and whatever, and then this thing happens, and you're opened up to it. And I think that some of the best operas do exactly that. They kind of... Uh, help you take your guards down, just let you, you know, follow the story. And of course, this this show is all about how music makes us remember things about how powerful music can be. And it's not a coincidence that the, the sort of uh, iconic movie that he's talking about uh, as the best movie of all time, Footloose, <laughs> is a movie musical. Right. And it's not the best movie of all time. The Last Dragon is the best movie of all time. Oh, but, but oh, it's, yeah. but, I'm going to give you that one, yeah. Yeah, but it's, uh, but so that's going to be my contribution. Right. So my question to you, though, is do you alter the ending so that actually the conflict at the end does become a dance-off? <laughs> yes, I, I think we do, a dance-off. The end does become a dance-off. <laughs> yes, I, I think we do a dance-off sing-off with some jukin, I think, maybe a juker versus a ballet dancer. Yes. I think, yeah, absolutely. I already want my front row ticket. You well, got no, it. <laughs> no, I want balcony. I want to be able to see everything. <laughs> yes. Ned, Ned, Ned. Many. You'll have to just buy tickets to more than one night. Yeah. Many questions yeah. emerge here, Ned. First of all, uh, Star-Lord's whole musical repertoire seems mm -hmm. to be like cheesy 70s music, right? Well, not cheesy, but, you know, whatever. Have you heard the music. phrase rock opera? Well, that's where I'm wondering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not to mention who's going to play Rocket and Groot. Like, who who sure. plays those? So, have puppets. you never been to a stage show? I don't think you've ever okay. been I'm to a stage to, show. I, we're talking I'm puppets. Asking. We we're need talking to take him to Cats or something. <laughs> Bunraku puppets. Or I guess Rocket probably could be... Uh, could probably be a very small singer. A, a small... Yeah. But that's I, what think, I, wondered, I think puppets. Yeah. I would go Bunraku puppets. Because we've seen those things where they just put on, like... Uh, you know, they put on an outfit. That Spectacle is, you know... I'm I'm not always somebody who thinks of opera as, as a vehicle for spectacle, but you know part of the reason that uh, producing opera is challenging is that 200 years ago opera was where all of the theatrical innovation, all the special effects innovation, it was all happening within opera, and then at a certain point technology overtook it, and so now that stuff happens online, and soon it's going to happen in the virtual world. So you know the the main thing is to make sure that the the heartbeat of opera continues, and some of that at least uh, allows for the kind of spectacle that movies bring to us. So why not try? Yeah. Um, I like the fact that you brought up Logan earlier. Mm -hmm. I, I literally just dropped it and finally got Logan Noir, so I mm -hmm. can watch the whole thing in black and white. Oh, wow. And oh, I didn't know they did it, that. That's oh, good. yeah, it's really good. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, but, yeah, having just yeah. watched it, I, I see the themes there as well. Yeah. It's more of a tragic opera, yeah. but, you know, it's like the last days of the great warrior. Yeah. But, honestly... Right now, and this is something. This is something that is lending. Seeing it, uh, I'm a Paramount Plus guy. Okay. But watching Halo, and I'm just sitting there. Oh, Halo would okay. be an amazing opera. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would be. It would be. Yeah. I mean, these epic stories, and again, you know, the there are lots of ways in which the, even just the definition of what makes something an opera. You know, the fact that we talk about rock operas and space operas. You know, the the I don't see the need to. 
you know, there are operas that we can produce, like we can't produce the film Star Wars, right? right. But so we can't make a space opera in that way, but we can still bring out all of those themes. We can we can do this stuff in the way that we can do it live uh, and, you know, and hope that people find those connections. Why can't we do Star Wars? I, I have a book. It's uh, William Shakespeare's Star Wars. You know, mm -hmm. have you seen right. that one? It's, yeah. it's yes. great. And uh, I don't know. Could we not? Well, yeah, I mean, don't tell Disney they can't do something. There are definitely some, <laughs> there's maybe some rights issues and certainly the Mandalorian rights issues. And certainly the Mandalorian is uh, incredibly operatic and uh, spaghetti opera, I think is mm. what they called some of yeah. the inspiration for it. But uh, I will say the they only, the only opera straight... had something to do with Italy. <laughs> yeah. So I, here's, here's, here's what I'm going to do maybe next time I come is okay. uh, I've always wanted to get a uh, uh, petition going. Right. To try to get uh, to try to get Disney to acknowledge one part of the former Star Wars expanded universe that was erased recently, right? Okay. Or not that recently, but there was in one of the comics, one of the characters went to an opera called uh, "The Passion of Tarkin," and it was about it was basically like the story of Star Wars told from Grand Moff Tarkin's point of view and the fact that oh, he wow. lost and the Death Star, you know, well, no spoilers, but right. the Death Star does not have a good ending in the first movie. Yeah, we, and so yeah. the, the uh, so wow. they mentioned it. And it's so far as I can tell, it's the only specific opera reference, Star Wars Expanded Universe. Well, in Revenge of the Sith, they're sitting in an well, opera. Well, he said, he said Expanded Expanded Universe. Universe. Okay. So oh, this was expanded. previous. Okay, gotcha. And I think that bringing it back uh, is just acknowledging that it could have happened I think would be a real step forward for the cause of opera. Uh, um, I, I would see that opera that, in a heart because his be backstory the, is pretty sinister. It's really interesting, though. That's yeah, a really yeah. interesting. That character. would be the best propaganda for Empire Strikes Back ever. Yeah. <laughs> Holy yeah. smoke! So. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brandon, uh, wait, what was your vote again? You uh, said, uh, "Well, I, I want you, Halo." Halo. Mm. But um, but that's not. I mean, there's just so much content right now that would be great opera, like. You know, instead of the book of Boba Fett, we get the ballad of Boba Fett. Absolutely. You know? I mean, there's so many. Well, Ned, let me... Th okay, the low-hanging fruit that I'm not going to discuss because it's too easy is Batman, obviously. Yeah. And then I, I mentioned last time the Joker film. However, I think one that could be really interesting, uh, not only uh, story-wise, but musically, is uh, Black Panther. Because mm. I'm thinking of yeah. the yeah. dynamic... Is uh, Black Panther. Because mm. I'm thinking of yeah. the yeah. dynamic between... Uh, King T'Challa and Killmonger and everything like, yeah. and I think if they could mix in a little bit of an African type of uh, musical theme, that yeah, could be really... you mean like the Lion King? Yeah, well, yeah. Something else that's in there is is you know there's definitely a Count of Monte Cristo vibe in that as yeah. well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, all those all those themes of a betrayal and you know generational conflict uh, you know yeah i mean these things are these are the stories we've been telling so, since we sat around campfires yeah. right and opera can tell all of them uh you know so if anybody out there wants to write a check for you mm. know six figures we mm. will produce these operas just you know yeah. it's all about i, it's all see, about the now I know the price <laughs> yeah <laughs> see now i need it was a number all i need was a number <laughs> Right. The aria of Alan yeah, Gilbert. Joe, Joe is dreading looking across the screen. Are you going to give us a serious contribution? <laughs> I Alan? am. Sometimes I am. you don't. I'm going to look, well, I'm gonna look, well, I'm gonna look dead in the eye. About every yeah. theme, every yeah. major vignette yeah. ever done in an opera is done in that movie in vignette form. I'll take it. Okay. I'm already seeing, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to speak 
plainly about this because already I'm just thinking of some of the yeah. crossovers with some of the operas that I've worked on right. with these characters, especially Harvey Keitel is a very operatic character. Yes. The, uh, Mr. Wolf, I want to say. Yes. Uh, yeah. In a while. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but that's a great one. The, that's that great movie one. is nothing but archetypes yeah. and vignettes yeah. with the overall archetype of, of swing of redemption. Yeah. Because at the end, there's a resolution yeah. to every vignette See, in it. And now that you brought that up, I want to just throw out the the El Mariachi trilogy. Right. Okay. The El oh, Mariachi, yeah. Desperado, and Once Upon a Time sure. in Mexico. There are mariachi that, operas. Yeah. Oh, across yeah. that entire uh, you know like story. Yeah. Yeah. Just watching him evolve through all that. Uh, you know like story. Yeah. Yeah. Just watching him evolve through all that. Yeah. And, and, you know, revenge yeah. is one of the things opera does best. Yes. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. hey, Ned, if we're talking about the real, the, the realistic production of something like this, art, I mean, yours sounds really expensive. Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean. Yeah. Uh, but just for kicks, what are some sort of, I don't know, tools or, or devices or special effects that an opera can actually deliver on that, that might make it interesting or compelling? So. Well, I mean, we, you know, we do a lot with projections now. So, uh, you know, in our opera, The Falling and the Rising, uh, there's an aria where uh, this jump captain is talking about what it feels like to go parachuting, like be in free fall, basically, right? And we had an amazing projection designer, uh, Kay Brandon Bell, who lives here in Memphis, and he created this image that was spliced together from multiple, uh, just multiple first-person perspectives of people in free fall, and he spliced it together. So as this guy was describing what floating instead of falling, he was able to create a video that was sort of timed with that. So we're seeing oh, what goodness. this guy is singing about as it's happening. And so there's a lot that we actually can do now that is that wouldn't have been possible, you know, even five years ago, let alone 10 or 15. And then I think, though, that the, the other thing we can do is, you know, when you when you have uh, you know, something big to do. You can either do it huge or you can do it understated and simply. And so, you know, the classic thing is blood. You, you know, it's great to have gallons of blood, you know, <laughs> shooting around. I'm a big fan Unless of that, you that clean approach. It up. Yeah. yeah, but you know, the the classic kabuki style is to take a piece of red cloth and expand it out, right? So you're you are just inviting people to think of it not realistically, but metaphorically a little bit. And you know, in some ways the comics are such a visual medium. And the most powerful moments, you know, like the two-page spreads, often while they they can be very busy, often what they're doing is they're taking like spreads. Often while they they can be very busy, often what they're doing is they're taking like one very small thing, whether it's you know a Spider-Man thwip or whatever, and focusing in on that. And you know, so theater, opera, we can take that one thing, do that one thing, and let the music invite you to create the rest of it in your imagination. Well, because you have so many tools, you have. You could either put a spotlight on it on mm -hmm. just the main character, or you can do, like you said, the the ribbon of blood, or you can do a big powerful aria. Yeah. So it's really just a matter of yeah. uh, the storyteller's just, choice. Yeah. Right? I'm having a, a flashback. I'm pretty sure it's uh, Dark Knight. Could have been Batman Year One, but I'm pretty sure it's Dark Knight. Like this image of the pearls, his mother's pearls right. uh, falling mm -hmm. in the gutter, and the kind of zoom in on those pearls mm -hmm. as like one of those ways that that one image, that very simple image tells you an entire story in a way that you don't need special effects to tell. It's just a different way of getting to that same place. Yeah. Now, I think, and you know what, I, the thing about this, Ned, what I'm thinking about is um, if these tour, if these stories that we're talking about, like Star Trek and Harry Potter and Batman, are really kind of timeless, and we assume people, you know, 200 years from now are going to still be interested in these, 
it might be kind of a cool device to use more classical on special effects or something just to mm -hmm. kind of connect it with I don't know something about that and instead of just only going for the high-tech solution might mm -hmm. be interesting yeah, so. yeah. yeah. There's, absolutely there's there's a definite uh art form to going with conventional over spectacle uh, that's put together on a computer yeah pretty cool man so but but you know the funny thing about opera too is you've told us before you guys embrace technology almost better than anybody right i mean you you are mm -hmm. always on the cutting edge operas always had to be and you know opera singers are uh you know it's such a global art form that people are traveling all over and to stay in touch with people uh they were like all the first people i knew who had emails who were on facebook all that stuff because it was a tool with the people that they met uh and you know as an art form we've just we've had to be able to uh to take these things over and there are companies like the med in new york that can spend a lot of money on both projections and hydraulics. And then there are companies like us with a little less money, and we have to focus on creativity and imagination. But that's luckily it's Memphis. We got plenty of that all over. Oh, that's awesome. Pretty cool, man. So what is the, what are the, <laughs> are people writing stuff like, uh, I guess I'm wondering, are there any themes that are typical in some of the newer operas? Because you, you, you told us the one that, uh, that you just produced about a, a, a guy falling in love with his uh, AI or, or a woman falling in love with her AI and all these others. But um, we're sitting here talking about a wide range of stories. But what what is what is everybody making these days? You know, I mean, it would be impossible to classify. You know, it, I think part of what people are trying to do is tell stories. All of us have had experiences that are operatic. All of us have felt extremes of emotion, whether it's love or rage or the, it's love or rage or the desire for revenge, whatever those things are, we all feel them. And so what people are trying to do is take those stories and saying, instead of, you know, a king's love, what if it's a, an elevator operator's love? What if it's a, you know, an accountant's love, that sort of thing. And so they're just really exploring uh, what makes those lives special uh but it's i mean it's gosh it, it would be impossible to uh to break it down uh but that's part of the fun i mean that's why uh, things have opened up themes have opened up and the type of storytelling has opened up so much since uh the turn of the century that it's impossible to classify ned when are you going to write an opera man oh i'm terrible what? at it I'm, I'm better, I, I, <laughs> it sounds very difficult, you know what i'm man. what i'm pretty decent at is trying to get people excited about the idea of writing a check so that we can commission an opera that is set at the Sears Crosstown building, something like that. You know, we've, uh, that's something that I can do a little bit. You, you just reminded me of something. Okay, throw like the Transformers under the bus or anything like that. <laughs> okay, but well, we you, won't do that. <laughs> you know how there's can some- Can you throw a Transformer under yeah, a bus? Wouldn't it just turn well, into well, a bus? It, well, you know, if, if, it's, if it's a Volkswagen to begin with, yeah, they, well, they can go true. under the bus. Yeah. So what I'm wondering, Ned, is as you're saying this, okay, so we, we know that there's, back in the day, especially like the 80s or something, like, you know, G.I. Joe or Transformers, they were cartoons designed to sell toys. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, is there has, has there been any operas that you would wonder- Okay, what is there? Either there's a real agenda, or they're trying to pitch something else. Like, okay. have you ever seen the 1985 Transformers the movie? Tragedy, death, mm, destruction, yeah. kids' childhood being destroyed <laughs> in the efforts to sell toys. If that ain't opera, I don't know what is. Well, it's well, an amazing point. soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just wondering, has there ever been any operas that are like because? Okay, for example, like the Magic Flute. Uh, mm -hmm. The agenda, supposedly, that Mozart had was to reveal all these secrets about the Freemasons, which yeah. led to the the the, the conspiracy th to the, the 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 conspiracy theory. Maybe he was killed. I, I don't yeah. know, but I'm just yeah. wondering. Maybe is there more commercial considerations for some of these modern operas? Like, I mean, 
not for the more modern ones. I mean, certainly the uh, Verdi is credited as much as anybody with uh, the unification of Italy into a country right. instead of a bunch of city-states. And, you know, there have been other pieces like that. But I, I can't think of one that's trying to sell toys. Maybe I should work on that. <laughs> that's what, see, that's your yeah. hook. I yeah. mean, you know, you know video re reuniting Italy, money. selling toys, you know, to make a lot I mean, you know, I, I'm, whatever I'm pays saying, the bills, you're talking yeah, about raising is. money. There's, that is there's true. already an amazing movie set up, which would could translate to a great opera, and it's all about selling things, and that's big. Mm, yeah. Because one of the underlying things is once Tom Hanks' character becomes an adult, he gets a job, and one of the things they're doing is selling toys. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, don't they have yeah. product placement in operas, Ned? Come on. I mean, I want to see in the middle of an aria, they whip out a, uh, I'm going you know, dieting treat. Steel, you know. hey, 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 I've, hey. I've had product placement in operas, but I don't know a lot of other. We do not, yeah. we do not condone Diet Coke in this studio. Yeah. I, I, okay, anyway. Yeah, how many brands could we name? But I don't know. I just think that the, it would be interesting to, uh, I mean, surely there's some operas that have been propaganda, you know. Or, yeah, you know. absolutely. Absolutely. But, but Although is, a lot of those don't, I mean, the ones that that are that last, the ones that we still do, are the ones that are not the ones that are really getting at something more human. Because right. you know, you can't convince somebody of something. You can only illuminate a story and let them draw their own conclusions and learn from it and be inspired by it or horrified by it or whatever. Uh, propaganda is uh, doesn't work very well in the arts. Yeah. I'm not going to name names, but yeah, exactly. Because that nothing irks me more when it's like, okay, are you telling a story or are you just trying to persuade me to your point of view about yep. something? So, yeah. Hey, when Daenerys says dragons don't like leashes, you better listen. <laughs> that is true. Is You better listen. <laughs> that is true. There you go. She's trying to teach you a lesson. <laughs> okay. Hey, dragons don't like leashes. Well, I, I thought it was a cooking show. Yeah. Hey, Ned, what are some modern operas you might recommend while we uh, got a few minutes here? So, because oh I'm gosh. not up on those at all, honestly. And and that robot yeah. one or the AI one was the intriguing. companion. It yeah, hits you it's close a lot to home. Joe has wonderful conversations with his Alexa. Okay. <laughs> what, are, what are some that you would throw our way? So. Oh, gosh. I would say anything by Jake Heggie uh, is a composer. We did a, an opera of his uh, Three Decembers, which is just a great, great piece. And anybody who's ever had a family, you'll find something in there to uh, to, to feel something about. Uh, his opera, Dead Men Walking, is based on the same book that the movie was based on. And that was sort of, that was one of the first sort of truly great uh, American operas. It's been around for a couple of decades now. That's a terrific one. And, you know, next year we're going to be bringing back The Falling and the Rising. And that's the opera that we co-commissioned with a number of opera companies in the U.S. defense that tells the stories of... Uh, of multiple veterans. It's based all on interviews with actual uh, serving and retired military. And it tells the stories. And, you know, this is sort of gets to the point that I was talking about. You know, we have a lot of stories about the heroic sniper in Stalingrad or things like that. What we don't get a lot of are the stories of the people who make heroic acts by doing things like having to miss their daughter's 13th birthday, right? right. Like this is also, this is something that's worthy of a story. And I will go to my grave saying that. And Absolutely. so this opera tells that kind of story and it tells it uh, based on truth. And it's it's really it's one of the things I'm proudest of in my life, not just in my time here in Memphis. Uh, and it finishes with, a, a, you know, a chorus of uh, our mil joint military chorus of uh, active and retired military. So we're going to be bringing that back in May of next year. Awesome. That's that's cool. Hey, so, Ned, before uh, we get out of here, uh, 
Tell us again, once uh, once again, how do people find out more? About ORG, or you can find us on any of the socials at Upper Memphis. Yeah. So, and, and you know, people, if you're if you enjoy Ned's conversation, he's going to be a regular contributor. We're going to be oh, bringing yeah. him in, uh, you know, and it won't always be about opera, Ned. You know, you're well versed. Yeah, we're going to talk about video games. Oh, video yeah. games, <laughs> yes. comics, uh, any, yeah. anything geeky. And I hope you'll bring some of your opera pals in here, too. Absolutely. A lot Maybe of geeks the next, in the opera world. Yeah. And the next visit, let's do that. So, but uh, a lot of fun. But guys, the first, uh, the digital hour is uh, mm. is is winding down, right? So I mean, uh, I mean, not the digital, the live action. Gosh, I have, I need my caffeine. Coming up <laughs> after this, though, Brandon, we have our online hour. Of we BK do uh, our digital hour is uh, is coming up in moments for us, and you know later in the day for you. And uh, other than that, I don't even want to tease what we've got coming. Yeah, other than our, you know, the bad uh, geek confession tirade that I've got. Yeah, Brandon's really it triggered. might get loony. If you want to trigger Brandon, uh, call or text and leave us a message at the uh, at the uh, Rick's Power Code. Us a message at the uh, at the uh, Rick's Power Coding text line at 901-683-0989. But until next week, uh, you know, we are the Geek Patrol, and I am Joe Thorderson. I'm Alan Gilbreth. I'm Ned Canty. And for Max Behind the Glass, I am Brandon Olmstead, reminding you that later today, check out our digital hour. Geek Tank Radio, News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. And welcome to Hour 2 of Geek Tank Radio. I'm Joe Thorderson here with my friends Brandon Olmstead and Alan Gilbreth and our buddy Max behind the glass who uh, he had he got his microphone back. He can uh, Ned had to, you know, use his microphone in the last uh, the last hour, but um this is our digital hour, sort of. Probably not good that they give me microphone access. I already uh, have rejoiner access. Yeah, the yeah, rejoiner. You know, the yeah. rejoiner. Well, at least now you can rebut the rejoiners when we go, oh. Yeah. Can we put a, a, re, a rejoiner inhibitor chip on this uh, board over here or something? Uh, no, we'll take a look. No. Yeah. Anyway, hey, uh, so, Brandon, um, this hour we've got some interesting stuff to discuss, but we also want to uh, just take care of a little bit really, of business. Or do, do, we, do we just want to see if I can get mad? Well, uh, before oh, we Oh, I'm do, all about just stirring you up and turning you loose. Well, he's going to get mad in a second, <laughs> but uh, part of the reason he's going to get mad is because we had somebody participate, as we asked, to the— Right. They, they, the, right. They they need to go to the Rick's Power Powder Coating text line or voicemail line. If you leave us a message or a uh, or uh, you can leave us a voice message or a text message any day of the week, really, and um, with bad geek confessions, which would, is what we were really calling for. But Brandon, we're going to open this up as well. To you, do you want to explain it now uh, or later? Uh, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and do it now. Okay, because we're because expanding it. I'm going to do it now because I can. I, I've still got some composure. I may not in a minute. Brandon gets really mad. Uh, well, I'm I'm a firm believer in not necessarily following the rules, but when you have instructions, go by the instructions because you know <laughs> you don't want to leave three drawers and a stabilizer out of your IKEA you know equipment. Right. I, like what, Will Ferrell's character from the Lego Movie. Oh, no, no, not quite not that, that bad. Not quite that bad. Yeah. Um, now, once I've put my thing together, do not adjust my shelves. Right. I will beat you within an inch of your life with your own shoes. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> your own shoes. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so, we've been asking for the Bad Geek Confessions. Mm-hmm, we the, have. You know, and we've been offering a free three-day pass to the Memphis Comic and Fantasy Convention. Not a bad deal. And in, and I've even said that in some cases, if it's good enough and you throw someone under the bus or involve them as well, mm-hmm. I'll give you two passes. Right. Uh, you know, I've, sure. I've said that. But what I've been getting lately haven't been bad geek confessions. But they are. They, they are. They're, I mean, there they're are they're gripes. There are rants. There are worries. There are your typical soapbox moments. 
I think but, this one's on the fence, though. It no, could go either no, way. No, no. But, this okay. is not a bad geek confession because this guy, it isn't to be a bad geek confession. It shows how you're a bad geek, and when you're doing something that 85 percent of geekdom was doing at the time, it's not a conf- it, it's not one. Okay. Like, if you know their bad geek confession was, it's not a bad geek confession. Okay. That's a I, geek expectation. You know, I would think you would. They're, 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 uh, it's like, I always make sure to stock up all the supplies before I go to Rocky Horror Picture Show so I have exactly what I need for that. But I do it months in advance. That's not really a bad geek confession because that's no. what most of the people who are going to attend do. Again, a geek expectation. Right, an expectation. Okay. So, so rather than leaving this as just bad geek confessions, I am going to open it up to the Geek Tank mailbag. Okay. And it, I don't care what the thing is. If It could be like a praise of some, uh, you know, like science fiction author. It can be, the you know, t- showing me pictures of your amazing collection of Star Wars figures from back in, you know, like mm-hmm. the 80s. I am, I am fine with any of that stuff. And there are still going to be options for you to win passes with those things. Well, let's let's just throw it out there, Brandon. So if you if you send us something interesting, we that's still what I'm trying the, to do, Joe. Yeah, You're, don't don't mess with me when I'm in rage. No, no, but I, I'm I happy to kick in. Things. I'm happy to kick in prizes. So right, you right. Know, we'll we'll throw it's in the, so the prizes. So right, right. You know, we'll we'll throw it's in. The, so I mean, there, there, yeah, there might be certain times when Joe comes in and says, "I've got this really cool engraved, uh, you know, mm. Janelle." Uh, you know, autographed Janelle wood piece. Stevens, right? Yeah, 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 yep. Uh, Which I and, do have, some and of he, those. you know, and he wants to do, you know, give away one of those. We might do something like that. You yep. never know what cool. your prize is going to be at this point. Okay, but one of the things I'm looking for, and this is, this feels more like this would have fit into what I will refer to as the geek tank gripes. Okay, okay, and this is when our listeners have something that they try, they they were sure was going to happen in geekdom, and they got really remiss because it didn't. Okay. okay. All right. So, so here we're gonna ju- we're gonna dive into this one, and this individual has uh, has asked not to be uh, revealed. identified. Correct. Right. Okay. So, dear GTR, I like reading Spider Man and X Men comics, but back in the early '90s, when I was a teenager, I also bought every variant cover from DC Image title released. Sometimes I bought several copies of the same comic. I never read them, and in many cases, I didn't even like the artwork. I only bought them because I hoped they would go up in value. Uh, of course, that didn't happen. Now I kind of hate these comics, yet I can't bring myself to get rid of them. <laughs> now, see, okay. this is a gripe, and this would have been something. Think- no, no, this is okay. definitely a gripe. This is something I would probably pass on to our buddy, Dr. Judge Mentor, so that he can explain to this guy how you can get rid of these comics without feeling bad about it. Because uh, what we c- collector hoarders. Mm. are a real problem. They yes. are an issue. Don't even mention that name. He and I got some bad blood. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> but Brandon, since this I, is... still, I still claim he's a, your illegitimate father, I, I, I understand. Brandon, I totally relate to this because I've had similar problems. Now, I actually right, did but that... read some of them, but back in the, back in the day, yeah. the problem was you had comics like uh, Sandman or you had some Alan Moore comics or you had mm-hmm. like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I think. They actually were comics that came out, and shortly thereafter, they became very collectible, and but, people were paying a lot of money But for what them. led to those comics being so valuable was the fact that they had short print runs. Right. The, the OG Ninja Turtles number one did not have a very large print run because Neil Gaiman wasn't a celebrated author at that point. Sandman had a— And it was, and it a, was really different, It was too, a much so. different—it mm-hmm. had a smaller print run. Uh, even, you know, it's like—even things like, you know— you know, you hear about, you know, the X-Men number one, 
you know, uh, with Jim Lee and Chris Claremont were redoing this. People were like, oh, my God, it's X-Men number one. Remember what happened with the last X-Men number one? But when you print and sell over five million copies of something, it's very rare that one of those is going to be left out to where it's going to be enough to put your kids through college or put yourself through college. Well, because that's what I was wondering, right. Brandon, because the, okay, the, the Sandman or the or yeah. the um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, that was an organic occurrence. It's right. suddenly these right. stories took off and there was very yeah. few of them. And so people really wanted them. But this, then they tried to artificially create collectability right. and that's when the whole problem right. started, right? You, like, what we all, what we all fell for fell for back then was an elaborate marketing scheme. You saw a chromium covered Ninjak number one from uh, you know from Valiant Universe, and you're thinking, oh man, this is Mark Silvestri. This is you know this is going to be amazing because he's he's got all this he's popular over there, but now he's doing something for another company, and they're not putting. And even though the print runs weren't as big, there were still so many inorganic sales because people were speculating instead of actually collecting. The speculator market is one of those things that ruins everything. Hey, by the way, guys, one of those yeah. things that makes your gas prices go up ain't got nothing to do with the economy. It's speculators who buy yes. oil futures. Oh, yes. okay. And, and and you know that that's what you know when I'm going to jump back. I'm going to I'm going to get semi political and his, historic for a minute. But do you guys remember during the original Gulf War? I know I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The reason the gas prices went up is because there was a war going on in the area. So people who had stock in oil futures were buying up more stock. And that drives the price up because the demand is so high, but the supply is kind of possibly cut off. Well, we didn't have that kind of stuff in comics, but we also had enough people seeing things like Action Comics number one selling for 80 grand that was found right. in some old lady's attic when she died and her family went through it. And it's not even in that great a condition, but there was somebody willing to purchase it for that. Right. That was Nick Cage. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> and, and so – they see this and they see how much their baseball cards were worth, you know, if they had kept them. Right. And all these things. So people start buying up what would have normally been a child's collectible, a child's entertainment, you know, uh, thing. And that's also what one of those things that drove up the prices of comics from where you couldn't get them for like a buck fifty anymore. All of a sudden they were like three dollars a comic. Nowadays, six dollars a comic. That, that's mm. what I was gonna ask you, Brandon, is as I recall, because you know, there's some people that are listening that are younger. They don't yeah. they didn't live through the 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 um, early 90s with that big, right. um, you know, speculator bust. But I can't remember. I feel like the prices went up a little for, like, those special yeah. foil covers right. or the special, you know, whatever well, it's like, uh, variant covers there and was, stuff. I, I, I don't remember exactly which issue it was. I want to say it was either X-Men 25 or Wolverine 75. I don't know which one it is where Magneto officially rips out his adamantium. I want to say it's the X-Men issue because I think the Wolverine was him recovering afterwards. But when they were released to the direct market through comic shops, there was a very high-end collectible hologram on those covers. Right. It wasn't even the cover itself. It was literally just the same size as your normal you know, collectible card. And it was, But it was like this new technology holograms. They were amazing looking. It was like... It was like it was like it was like five bucks for that comic, but if you bought the newsstand edition that did not have that card on it, mm -hmm. it was like two dollars. Right. You know, uh, if I remember correctly, I may be remembering incorrectly, but that wasn't that far off. Uh, if you if you bought, but you know, nowadays, if there's a variant cover, usually the mass market is set uh, where you can actually just order the cover you want you know, through Diamond or someone like that. 
And but it had gotten to a point where you were having to buy if you wanted the special cover as a retailer, you had to buy twenty five copies of this or fifty copies of that, and then you got one of those special covers. So those would definitely sell for like twenty five dollars, where the regular comic was selling for three ninety nine, and that was still not even a few, but a few years ago. Nowadays, though, people who are collecting things like that, they're collecting it because they're more of a completist generation than it is a speculator generation. A lot of these guys are, have no intention of ever selling what we had in those nineties. And I mean, I still have some, I still have a copy of spawn number one because I that was one's a, actually worth, money. I was a I huge, have that one I was too. a huge fan of McFarlane's artwork. Mm-hmm. I love the way he, when he was doing drawing for Batman, how the Cape was like 12 miles long, <laughs> unless he was fighting yeah. at which point it was where it was needs to be. And I love the, I love the way he drew Spider-Man. His, some of my favorite Spider-Man artwork is from Todd McFarlane. And, well, and he so, really got into his villains. Yes, yes. He really also really chewed up scenery yeah, yeah. instead of just kind of Dude. blocking it off in the background. Dude, Venom. Yes, that's all, that's all I got to say. It's Venom. Just, but what we but that, we, that didn't know. that create sort of a perfect storm too? Because back in the early '90s and all that, when those guys, in, you know, Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee and all those guys took off and created their own. They, it was yeah. it, it was in the middle of these guys basically being celebrities, like the yeah. comic book artist is suddenly well, like a rock star. I mean, They're you driving were seeing, Lamborghinis. And, you were seeing Rob you know. Liefeld, who is artist creator of Deadpool, mm-hmm. which you know we can I can do an entire you know two hours on Deadpool alone in his creation. But you know he was on a he was in a Le- Levi's five hundred one commercial with Spike Lee talking <laughs> about X Force, and he's a comic book. And guy. He's a comic yeah. book artist. Yep, right. I mean, he's not even a writer. He's the artist. He you know he didn't create these characters. He designed these characters, which is just as important. But he's you know and he's getting you know all this attention. They were like rock stars, and they were actually sell- they were legitimately selling millions yeah. of copies, which yeah. isn't really the same anymore. No, no. So it's like- I mean the the best selling comic consistently is batman right and we've seen how how you know things jump in ahead based on whether or not it's going to be a new thing and you know but the speculator market nowadays is not like it was back then um and i feel i really feel for this guy because i i fell into this you know i was a comic collector's going going into it and you know it's like you saw something new coming from a guy that you'd you know seen right over here or draw over here and you're like I'm going to get this new number one. Or you saw something just, the cover itself just reached out and grabbed you. Oh, I feel Because of it. how yeah. shiny it was. How, you know, it's like we got foil over here. We got this. It's like, oh, man, this is going to be something special. And a lot of times those comics, when it came down to it, really weren't. No. Well, the other thing that happened here was of additional media. Because you're also getting up to the year 2000 where you've got the birth of the internet. Mm-hmm. and Oh, good point. And, well, what you had was a rise of media and a rise of personality. Of It became kind of hot to talk about who this new artist was. Yeah. <laughs> Previous generations, as we've pointed yeah. out in this show a hundred times, in previous yeah. generations... The most fabulous artist of the creation of a certain character he buried for decades yeah. before they get the yeah yeah like Jack before Kirby didn't up, really yeah, I mean, get as much there as were he there should. were a lot of these people that were simply mm-hmm. employees yeah now the new generation of people came in a little more media savvy a little more media adventured and they were there as part of their own contract oh yeah so you also had a lot of self promotion by a lot of these new artists that 
thank goodness yeah. they had the talent to live up to the hype and we got great right. product. But they got so. treated a little differently and I think better yeah. than a lot of their predecessors. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, the you know, nowadays if you say Stan Lee to a comic fan, they know exactly who he is. They immediately envision him. Half of them have amazing stories where they stood in line for hours in order to meet him. Yes. Right. But did you know that back in the day, you know, if someone was listening or watching, you know, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, they half of them didn't know who Stan Lee was. They, half of them didn't know who Stan Lee was when he was narrating the beginning of it. No. <laughs> Back then when Stan Lee went to conventions, he could get, a, get his autograph yeah. for free. And the, uh, yeah, you know, he was at that corner table right. over there, yeah. you know. With a handwritten card. Yelling, yeah. please, saying, please yeah. come yeah. talk to me about Marvel yeah. Comics. That right. was back in the day when he, he did Stan's soapbox. It was in every issue of Marvel. Yes. And if you sent him a question that was, you know, that he wanted to answer, he gave you the no prize. And Marvel would literally send you an empty envelope to your house, which was your, uh, you know, your, your... Your prize. Yeah, it was your 100% certified no prize. Yeah. Now, how <laughs> much would that be worth today? Those would actually be quite a bit if you kept them. And, and But most people who have those would not be willing to part, part well, with them. Well, but they, the, most people yeah. back then threw them away. Right. You and know, so the like, 10 guys that looked at yeah. this and went, you know. The number, of, the number of people whose parents, you know, it's like you're off at college and they find your comic collection. They just tossed it. Oh, or yeah, they, they gave them to the put, kid down they the, put, the street. They put it in the garage sale. Yeah. Or, or, you know, they donated it to, to the church, you know, whatever right. they did. And, you know, but. So, I mean, I feel for this guy in thinking that he now has, like, a box of chromium, uh, you know, Fudang comics, and, and well, he can't offload them for 50 cents a piece, nor does he try, because well, once we get that collector bug in us, that's the thing. Don't, you can donate never get rid of them. You know, donate them to a library sale or something like that, and let somebody I, else get the next I'm gonna, generation I'm of gonna, the bug. I'm going to reveal something right now that you guys may not know. Yeah. Uh, other than maybe 50... I do not own any singular issue comics anymore. Did you weed them out I've of your gone, collection? I've gone digital with what I buy. I I now it's like I've got omnibus uh, and and you know graphic novels, which are collections of various books. But for the most part, uh, I have passed those on to people that I know will mm -hmm. either give them a good home or find them a good home. Them a good home. Uh, one of which being the amazing Mister Robert. Yes. You know, it's like you know he has. You know, it, you can find almost any comic you're looking for there, and if you don't have it, he can find a way to get it for you. Yeah. Within reason. I mean, he's not going to, like, you know, hand you an Action Comics number one. It's just not happening. No. I, I think the root of the whole problem, yeah. though, uh, Brandon, is part of it is when you when you collect something for, mm. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say impure motives, but if your motives are not based on lo love or enjoyment, right. it's going to bite you in the end at, eventually right. because it's kind of like, like somebody that bought you know, $5,000 worth of Beanie Babies back in the day. They yeah. couldn't care less about Beanie Babies, but they're like, hey, I'm somehow I'm going to make yeah. money off of this. And then all of a sudden they're stuck with the right, crates right. of that stuff. So if you love something, you know, like, the, yeah. you know, if, if you love something, buy it. If you're but, going to collect something, make sure it's something you're collecting because you want it and not because of what you think you can do with it in the future. Because the great thing about, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the retail market, the secondary market, is it is constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. Today, in here in Memphis, there or in, I think it's in Cordova, there was a toy show. People selling all these old toys that most of them probably purchased thinking, well, this will be worth this much on eBay. And yeah. now they've got, you know, tables and boxes and everything. That's not to say that these guys aren't, you know, are, are trying to, you know, scam you on them, but there's, they're not moving otherwise.
the, yeah, but the, they may have that thing that you want, that thing that you love. You know, that's that, that's a perfect yeah. example, Brandon, because the thing that I've always scoffed at, and the one I always look down my nose at other people at, is these guys that buy action figures and they never take them out of the package. I'm like, okay, I mean, that's strictly like I'm gonna, mercenary, right? I'm, I mean, because well, I gonna, I want to see the action figures. I'm gonna wanna, I'm gonna you know. tell you I'm gonna tell you another confession on that. Uh, I have a chunk of action figures that have never been taken out of the boxes. But that's because NECA created an entire line of ultimate figures that actually have a way there. And when you don't have a whole lot of room, tacking those things up on the wall is amazing. And I've got every Jason figure they've put out so far. <laughs> I don't know. But meanwhile, it's like I, b- I bought their Ninja Turtle stuff, and that my Ninja Turtles are, like, displayed on shelves. They're not in boxes. The same with the Gargoyle stuff that they're putting out, because I was a big fan of that cartoon. Oh, yeah. Is, you know, I've got a Goliath, and I'm, you know, it's like I haven't bought a Demona yet because it's like, uh, I, I've heard bad uh, customer service, customer quality, uh, you know, with the wings. But I'm, I will, I'll buy these things and I'll display them. And I, that's one of those things is like, why did you take them out of the package? They're not going to be worth anything. It's what they're worth to me. That's mm-hmm. that's what's more important. What is it worth to you? And yeah. and if, if if that's important, then then you'll keep them forever. Right. But uh, I'm going to call this a fringe bad geek confession. I see, I see. I don't think it's a ba- bad validity. In I don't this, see anything bad geek about this. This is you know this guy. I, bad I, investing advice. I commiserate <laughs> with this guy because so many of us went through this, um, and I'm still going to give him to this. Um, and I'm still going to give him two passes to the comic, con, you know, con in uh, November. Oh MCFC. well, that's very generous of you. Okay. Well, because yeah. he he gave us something that did give us what we needed. Well, know? a good conversation. So Absolutely. let's just remind everybody before we hit the break that if you want to call uh, or text us anything, it doesn't have to just be a bad geek confession. Mm-hmm. Although that's what we we would like. Send it to uh, the Rick's Powder Coating text line at 901-683-0989. And if it's interesting, we'll read it on the air and we'll probably unpack it and uh, we'll give you some free passes. But, Brandon, one thing this did lead to is maybe a discussion about the uh, comic books, uh, the future of comic books. I'm all for it. So uh, we're going to unpack that when we come back. You're listening listening to Geek Tank Radio here at News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. We'll be right back. Geek Tank Radio. God, leave us. News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. How many times have I wanted to say that here? But uh, <laughs> Anyway, welcome back to, I don't even know what that meant. Welcome back to uh, Geek Tank Radio. <laughs> Are there security guards here? I, maybe. Uh, it's, it's, I, you know, I'm, yes. I'm, ever since, he, ever since he got that forced injection or, yeah, order, you know. Yeah. I'm Joe Thorderson here with my friends Brandon Olmstead and Alan Gilbreth and our buddy Max over there behind the glass. And um, if you're just tuning in, well, I don't know. Are they just tuning in? I mean, it's a digital hour. I mean, uh, well, I mean, unless it's being played as a repeat or something. But if you're just tuning in, we had a kind of an in-depth discussion about uh, comic book speculation yeah. problems of the early yeah. 1990s. And uh, we we all fell victim to it, except for Alan, because he's, you know... He doesn't. I don't think he collected. No, the way no. He Alan and I was did, do, but, Alan was doing something much dumber at that time. He was publishing books. Yeah, he was cranking out the minutia that we were trying to, you know, that we were buying. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, shortly we're gonna we're gonna maybe uh, steer the conversation since we're talking about comics about maybe the 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 future of comics and uh, the different delivery mechanisms. You, you could say you found people who could have written amazing comics. Yeah, they I just, did. They just I wrote did. them in prose. I, yeah. I, I discovered that in order to make a small fortune in publishing, you have to start with a large one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good point. But, uh, hey, guys, before we get to that, we, we, we would be remiss if we didn't at least weigh in on uh, episode four of Moon Knight because it seemed to me a bit they pivotal. And 
it really, I thought uh, it was very interesting. They call him Mooney because it rhymes with loony. We're yeah. finally getting to the meat and taters. So here we go, Barry, because you've said, <laughs> and, and we're going to deal in spoilers, folks. So if you don't yeah. want to hear this, uh, tune out for the next uh, five or ten minutes. In case you didn't but... know, he's nuts. Yeah. All right, there you go. Well, the because you might, not, is you might not know that initially, we, we know he's got a split personality. That doesn't mean you're nuts. But w w w Oh, really? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a, that doesn't mean you're nuts. But w w w Oh, really? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a, that's, it doesn't mean you're That would insane. be the that's worst a, case of being bipolar ever diagnosed, Okay, Joe. but there's that, there's that, and then there's the Joker. No, I mean, and then there's somebody that's just living in a totally imaginary well, world. I, I, that's not the same as a split personality. You're in the wrong comic pantheon. Come back to the MCU. But well, anyway, Brandon, tell us what we saw. Well, and we already gave our spoiler I, I, I can't, warning, I can't, so. I can't leave this alone because you guys have started it now, so I want to do it real quick. <laughs> okay. There are various levels of insanity and various mm. diagnoses within them. Yes. Joker is as a psychopath with uh you know uh who cannot you know grasp reality moon knight is a psychopath who cannot grasp reality with multiple personalities mm. but i say those are distinct but go ahead well well because if yes, you have multiple personalities you're forgetting what you did the rest of the day but, but it doesn't mean no, you're no, insane. no 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 that is disassociative identity disorder and that oh, is yeah. not the same as multiple personality. Yes, so we saw we saw Mark and Mark slash Steven without <laughs> any kind of Konshu influence. Right. And Leia, they they went and they, you know, they went to find uh Ahmet's tomb mm -hmm. and, and everything. And and we got some amazingly detailed uh, you know, Egyptian uh artifacts. Yes. We we got to see uh you know King Tut's or or Alexander the Great's you know sarcophagus and we got I thought to see, that was the most interesting that was, part. That was that, so that, cool. The notion that he would be married or, or buried in a uh in a like a pharaoh's tomb. That was interesting. Yes, well, yes, I mean, well but it was a Macedonian. Yeah. Yeah. So it was and and to watch Stephen get excited about what he was finding. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then of course to see Har Harrow and Leia's uh discussion when they're on the other either, either side of the pit. Yeah, and uh, you know the the whole situation, you know, leading up to what was the twist ending that so many people who don't know the character had no clue was coming. <laughs> oh, I'm sitting there through bated breath, and as soon as we see Stephen get shot, I'm just like, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, and then he wakes up in the white room. Yep. So he wakes up, and we're wondering, okay, did this whole thing take place in his mind? Yeah. But then he encounters his other. He encounters. Uh, so it's Mark. Mark Spector and Steven now is who yeah. we're seeing. Yep, and they running through an insane asylum, and they are both trapped inside his mind. Mm -hmm. The insane asylum is his brain. Okay, because uh, Alan, you've said it. Uh, Mooney is loony, right? Oh. And, and and by the way, he has nothing to do with the the Marvel version of Batman. I don't know where that comes from. But, but I, anyway. I didn't say that. No, no, I no, said no, no. I didn't say you did. But no, there's they've there, called them that. There is a there is a lot more. It's involved here. I, Based on, he's a mentally challenged character. However, Moon Knight dwells so far. Moon, the character, the 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 costumed vigilante Moon Knight strikes fear into the hearts of those who would do wrong. And it, 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 he's a supernatural Batman. He is. That's just the way that. I mean, that's what his whole basis was in the old school comics. His modern Marvel identity is much different. Um, I suggest doing research and, if at all possible, find Kimberly Richardson, wherever she is, and sit down for a two-hour discussion. You'll know exactly why Moon Knight and Batman are so And you'll similar. get some nice tea. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. She'll take care of you. Yeah. But oh, yeah. what we're Kimberly's gonna do is we're great. gonna get back to the show. Yeah, because I'm, um, I'm. I had a few questions for you. Brian, okay, okay. Too. I'm cool. Okay, well, so for first question is he wakes up and he's heavily sedated. He can barely yes. move his mouth. Mm -hmm. He's whatever. And uh, so the doctor that's interviewing him is supposed to be uh, what's his face? Amit. It's, it's uh it's, Ethan Hawke's it's, character. It's Haro. Okay, and then now he's just a clean-cut doctor talking to him about whatever. Yep. Well, and you find out that Stephen Grant is a character in a on a VHS, you know, direct to video uh pseudo on a VHS, you know, direct to video uh pseudo Indiana Jones uh type movie. I love that. I thought that was really yep. clever. But so my question is as the as the the time goes by where he's in the in the insane asylum, he starts to the sedatives are sort of wearing off and he's he's recovering his senses. Then he can get up and run and all this other stuff. So yeah. he's still because seeing things that as, aren't there. Obviously. Because as you get agitated or sedated, it moves that toxin through your blood system a lot faster. And it starts to abate and you can get up and you move around and do your thing. Well, okay, so here's my question, though. Because as he gets uh, unsedated, you could say all of a sudden his... his, 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 his um, it's Mark Spector. He rescues Stephen. What's his well, face? So now he's he's clearly seeing yeah. things that aren't there. But my question is, if he's less sedated, is he more insane? Because it seems like he's the most <laughs> himself when he's heavily sedated. That, well, that's no, just no. my. He cannot take over the body. Okay. Because the body is, he's basically bleeding out. Right now, if there's if there's any justice in this entire series, Jake Lockley has taken over the body. Well, who's Jake? Now, Jake, seen him Jake Lockley yeah. is a third personality within Mark's head who is very different. Now, you saw, I think it was in episode three, where Mark and Steven are back and forth over the body, and then they both kind of black out, and when they come to, there's bloody people all around them, and Mark asks Steven, what did you do? And Steven goes, it wasn't me. Oh, that yeah. alludes to Jake. That's... Now, Jake, when it comes down to it, Jake is your basic everyday thug slash cab driver. Mm -hmm. But he's also the one of them that would not. He's not gonna. He's not gonna fight with you know mercenary uh, strategy and, and and training, and he's not gonna f fight the you know and he's not gonna f fight the you know as as he's street level. Yeah, it's like you got fight or flight. Fight is Mark. Mm -hmm. Flight is Steven. Jake is just going to take care of business. Just, the, he's a brawler. Getting the job done. Because yep. the, the one clue for those who, who are watching this, like, you know, I didn't know a lot and the about best way Moon to Knight. The best way to tell when Jake takes over is he puts on a hat. Well, Brandon, one of the things you see in the in the closing credits is they show Oscar Isaac's uh, face, and it's split into three, like it's three mm -hmm. faces. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, where's that third one yep. coming from? So we're finally going to start seeing that, so. No. All right, so who's trapped in the sarcophagus? Now, either because I think now, it's his third personality. Now, I don't. I don't want to say that Jake is in that sarcophagus, but it, you know, with the way that it was raging to get out, it could be Jake. It could be the fact that he's never really been able to get tapped into correctly. Mm -hmm. um, he came. He's kind of the rage. He's their Joe Fixit for Hulk fans. My other theory mm -hmm. is that it, um, he came. He's kind of the rage. He's their Joe Fixit for Hulk fans. My other theory is that it's Khonshu because he said he told Mark that, you know, he told Stephen when he was doing the thing where they turned back the star, the stars, that to have, you know, he's like, tell Mark to release me. Now, 
that is going to kind of that could come oh, down to the right. fact that because yeah. one of the theories that's always gone through there is that he's not really possessed by Khonshu. Khonshu is a fourth personality, and that's when that's that's the true that's his meta personality, basically. From That's where his power comes from. From what you're seeing, it sounds like even the comics don't give you a definitive no. answer. Is that right? So you could be reading for years, oh, Moon Knight, well, and you just don't know, right? right. I, I mean, I, the, the basic underlying here is, unlike completely well-developed characters, yeah, okay. we know, uh, we'll, we'll pick, uh, you know, pick on Batman for just because we always do. Else, And it's this poor guy's trip to whatever redemption he's trying to achieve. Yeah. All right, cool, fine, we got all that. We don't have that with this guy. We yeah. we have a guy, let's just say, pick any one of these three personalities was his birth personality. Or uh, none of them could be. Or none of them. But you could pick any one of them, and somewhere in the trail, you have these basic disconnects and basic mental failures. And yet... This character is imbued with a certain amount of power, exists in the, you know, the, the world of reality, at least as far as the other characters around him are concerned. And it, well, now you just have, um, I'm going to quote Douglas Adams for a second, you have a rigidly defined area of uncertainty. That's a a pretty good quote. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. That's That's a pretty good quote. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. That's pretty good. I'm sure it already is. It is. is. It's been, it's not, it's an, it's not an original quote, but this is one of the best character designs that truly embraced that idea. See, when you, when you guys describe Moon Knight, I thought that would be interesting. And in the first three episodes, I wasn't seeing that aspect. And all of a sudden, when this happened in the fourth episode, I really got interested because I'm like, I like the the notion of pattern. Yeah. Right. I like the notion of this could go anywhere. And and Mm. I like the uncertainty because it's sort of like the Joker movie where everybody has their own interpretation. What was one of the things I said going into this? Is that we weren't really going to hit something that you're going to want to talk mm-hmm. about until we got at least halfway through. Yep. That's what it always is. Yeah, that's their well, That is their pattern. They're very good at it. Yeah. Um, Disney, yeah. if, if nothing else, is excellent at understanding yeah. the human attention span pattern. Well, and, and, and I can say as an outsider who had no, I, I was not emotionally invested in Moon Knight one way or an episode, they, right. they hooked me. So, right. Are you that's, enjoying that's the character? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Are you truly enjoying yeah, now the character? I, now I am because yeah. now I want to go back and look at all the other episodes well, again now that I know what, this. So. What okay. I would do if I was you right now is I would go to Comixology or Marvel Unlimited mm-hmm. and see what they've put up recently because they tend to flood their digital uh, you know, stuff with stuff about characters as they're becoming popular amongst people. A lot of people had no clue about Moon Knight going into this, yeah. but right. now they're like they're they're chomping mm-hmm. at it. Okay, right. So I mean, you know, it, it's time it's time for the uh, the outer screen um, education. Yeah, it's going to be cool, and and so it's it's just interesting how um, you know one pivotal episode can can mm-hmm. do that. So that's yeah. I'd say that's good storytelling. They didn't oh, just yeah. give it all away at the beginning. Oh no! And, and <laughs> how did you like the very last moment? The uh, well. Which one was that? The 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 voice that came out of the giant hippo god. The giant hippo god. Oh, that was funny. Yeah, like a talking hippo. That's that. So the question is, who's that? And I guess we can welcome to the Egyptian pantheon. Yeah, we've done Greek. We've done Norse. Um, we're, we're hinting at a few others, and now we're digging into. I just Egyptian. Her voice. 
Hi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just scream. It was beautiful. Yeah. All right. So I guess we, we're all agreed we're going to be following this. And then, and so we got two more episodes, right? And then uh, yeah. I, I, I'm already assuming there's going to be a second season. No, they've actually said not to expect one. And of what? course, I feel like they would be remiss if they're in, in Egypt that they don't play the song "Walk Like an Egyptian." It's a missed opportunity. <laughs> it's well, you know, sometimes you just. I think that hippo's going to do that. Yeah. that yeah. Hippo's funny. But no, they have said not to expect a second season of Moon Knight, but that's because they're building towards something. Yeah, yeah. We've we've seen a handful of various Midnight Sunsy type things happening here and yeah. there, and Moon Knight will fit in quite well. Yes. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I, I want to a discussion that we started because we were talking heavily about comics. And even in yeah. this discussion, we're talking about, you know, the Moon Knight comics yeah. and everything. And so, uh, and honestly, you know, you yeah. brought it up about the fact that even the comics don't give you a true definitive nature of what's going on in Mark's head. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's just that's that shows you amazing story. I like that. I, I prefer that. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. the, the, the reader to yeah. kind of come up. It, it makes you want to go back and reread it and, and, and yeah. really invest yourself. I'm, in the I'm a firm believer that one of the things that kind of killed a lot of my love for Wolverine was when they decided to do Wolverine origin. Yeah. And tell you what his past was like, because beforehand memory blocks and, and, and false memories and everything else. It made the character interesting. And Once you, you know can, the past, you're like, yeah. Eh. And you can fill it in with whatever you want. That's right. sort of the part of it. You're participating in the storytelling. Well, so. the best part here is the character himself doesn't, even doesn't have a clue. Right. So Doesn't right. even know where to start looking. It's so, great. okay. So, well, in, in that. Doesn't right. even know where to start looking. It's so, great. okay. So, well, in, in that vein, I guess it's sort of in that vein. We were talking about comics, and I this is a more of a roundtable discussion. I want to throw at you guys. So, yeah. okay, back in the day. Get the mic fired up, Max comic books come out there they're like 10 cents a piece the mm-hmm. kids buy them whatever you roll it up you stick it in your tree house you don't take care of them and it's right. disposable entertainment but it is sort of like having a little movie in your back pocket you know it's a pictures yeah. and words and then we get the 50s where they're burning comic books and all this other stuff the and, and seduction they, of the innocent seduction of the innocent comes along comics get very boring let's face it they, yes. they were terrible in the 50s then eventually uh, comics get revived. And I'm, I'm only talking about superhero comics here. Oh, I'm not. I'm going to talk about everything. And eventually they become very collectible. But but up until uh, whatever year it was when they started digital comics, it's always been a printed, it's always been printed on paper, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, over the time, what I guess what I'm mostly zeroed in on right now is the fact that it, the future seems to be digital. It mm-hmm. seems like we're going to get digital stories more often right. than not and and one of the things i hear about digital comics i don't read them myself i still read the the, the actual comic books but uh brandon you're more in tune with this i hear yep. people that will complain about the actual reader device itself and i i had an idea that maybe you know yeah. t- that approaches it looking at the delivery mechanism well, so. i'm not i'm not uh, you know we've discussed this a little bit off off the air and i i think your idea is actually which we'll get into here in a minute i think is a really good idea uh, but a lot of people who talk about the don't like the reader, they don't like this, they don't like that, it really comes from that inability or unwantingness to change. You know, it might it, be. It, it, yeah. it, it takes a little, you know, it took me a minute to get used to it, but I, I do, I, I have an Amazon Fire, I have a Kindle, I have an iPad. And I, I, I've got comic, I can get to my comics account, get to my comics accounts from every one of them. And each one of them delivers it just a little bit different, but there's there's panel by panel, there's page by page, there's things that'll open up uh, for like big splash pages. It takes a minute to get used to it, but once you do, 
I can carry 500 to 600 comics around with me anywhere I go. So I can now, it whatever my mood is, it's like I, I don't have to go, man, I'd really, you know, it's like I'm sitting here, I'm waiting for a panel to start in a comic, in a, at a Comic-Con, and I'm like going, you know what would be awesome right now? Reading a few issues of The Walking Dead. Yeah. I just have to okay. hit a button on my phone. Well, my thing is, okay, obviously reading a, a comic book on your phone is never going to give you the same tactile experience. So my thought was, okay, you know, you were talking about how DC, I mean, um, how Warner's and Di Discovery is going to revamp everything. Right. And, of course, we know Disney's got big bucks. And uh, if they're serious, they can revitalize Marvel Comics and everything. My thought was, what if they created a reader that is only for comic books and it's strictly to 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 better approximate the experience of reading a comic book. I was almost picturing, Brandon, something that's the same size as a comic book with uh, four screens on it. Maybe there's a hinge, and you actually open it up, right. and you have a cover, and you have a backside, and then when you close it, it, it turns the page well, or something. And so, I think I think that's a... That, something kind of more I think dynamic. That's a, I think that's a very fun and interesting way to go to have a designated reader for comics, but at the same time, based on production value, how many people actually get it, you're basically creating an elitist pay-to-play kind of situation where most of the people who would, could actually afford it to begin with aren't the kind of people who'd be collecting uh, comics anyway who haven't already gone digital with something else. And those guys, are, you know, when it doesn't sell very well outside of that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. Hmm. That's yeah, my but, you know, but, biggest thing. I don't know. Uh, it, because technology, then it wouldn't have been 20 years ago. But you've got to realize but. that with every first generation of anything new, you're not just paying for the device and the production of the device. You're paying for the research going into designing and creating. With every, it's like the the PS5 is not worth $600, even though that's the cost. Because what went into it, you're for that first generation, you're paying for the research and development of it well, that makes more sense. than anything so, else. Yeah, it makes me think of the notion of how like VHS was kind of an experimental thing at first, but now it's garbage in terms of how much it's worth. Right. Yeah, that's true. So. Right. Which is funny, actually, that you bring that up because now the niche thing to do is to create VHS uh, tapes of movies that are popular now. <laughs> that are you you spend sixty bucks on a VHS tape that's going to sit on your shelf and never get played. Okay. Correct. Of all right, let's talk about the actual viewing and tactile experience and the simple fact that technology has changed, and technology experience and the simple fact that technology has changed. And technology is going to continue to change. And the new comic book viewer experience is not yours. Uh, wait, what do you mean? The, the upcoming fan. The fan oh, right you're talking now about the, the younger that fan. is yeah. 15, 16, uh, or whatever. They have a Spotify account with a unicorn filter on it. They have TikTok. They have a pad, a tablet. They have... Their experience with the comic book, I hate to say it, but your your paper comic book is probably a limited That's, idea and going to die. Well, that, that was exactly where I was going, Alan. I mean, the kids today, let's, I hate to say the kids today, but how, kids how many today, books do well, they sit down well, and read? Well, they they read everything Here's digitally. The so. You're saying the kids today. Kids don't buy comics anymore. The uh, book is now adapting yeah. to the new digital world. Yeah. And the comic book has also, yeah. while I truly appreciate seeing some of my favorite comic storylines yeah. from the 70s and 80s, which have been what's mostly been on the screen right. here lately, I appreciate seeing them, 
but we've now spoiled them yeah. in the fact that they're no longer comic books. Comic books are just yeah. the layout for the movie. Yeah. But but but, but Brandon, what if we had a digital reader that could download any comic book in history or something? Gonna, I'd buy it. I have that. It's an Amazon Fire. I can do I mean, ev- any, anything and everything that has been digitized by the Warner Archives or by Disney and uh, Marvel. I can get a hold of in two seconds. The biggest problem with that is those prices are not any cheaper just because you don't have a physical copy. Because one of the deals, oh, really? one of the deals they made with yeah. retailers of physical comics is that they would not release digital copies for cheaper than what you're getting. It's for cheaper than what you're getting. Now, a few months after they're out, you can get them in sales for like a buck. But so it's have, eventually cheaper. We have yeah. pri- the the people who would have bought your amazing digital reader. We have priced them out of comics over the years to the point where they don't even care. Hmm. And and it's sad because eventually the last generation of comic you know buyers as far as physical comics are eventually going to die. Yeah, it's interesting. I think this is a we're living in an actually a pretty yeah. interesting time in terms mm-hmm. of comic book history because yeah. how many times in the past have they thought, well, comics are dead, superheroes right. are dead, and yet something happens and boom, yeah. they're revitalized. So we're this is definitely a conversation we're going to have to revisit. Say that to the guy who suddenly say that to the guy who in every generation is like, you know what, I want to invest in these Edison records. There you go. Mm. <laughs> okay, Max is a I don't know. Anyway, but uh, I think we'll we'll, we'll continue you. that conversation because it's 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 very interesting. But but um, guys, we have no more time to discuss it. We we got to get out of here. So uh, it's it, another dynamic episode of Geek Tank Radio in the can. And so until next week, we are the Geek Patrol, and I am Joe Thorderson. I'm Ellen Gilbreth. I'm Maximilian, and I am Brandon Olmstead, reminding you that eventually all of our dreams will go away. <laughs>